This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Chaco Footwear, the long-lasting do-everything sandal, is probably best known as a niche brand among hikers and outdoors enthusiasts. That's how Joshua Wyhan first connected with the product. But it wasn't until years later, after traveling the country and visiting our national parks, that Josh joined the company that is best known for its Z sandals. Today, Josh is the director of marketing for Chaco, and he's trying to build the company into something much bigger. On this episode of Marketing Trends, Josh sits down to discuss how he's helping take Chaco from a niche brand into the larger lifestyle company it's becoming today. Plus, he explains how Chaco is embracing unprecedented circumstances in 2020 and why knowing your brand and your story can take you to new heights. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Here is your host, Ian Faison. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends, and we have special guest, Josh, what's going on? Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, we, uh, we're we super excited to have you on today, um, not only for what you are doing uh, at Chaco, your background, but what is currently kind of going on in the, in the kind of, uh, you know, crazy crisis and everything, obviously, with um, with COVID and the coronavirus and how your company has responded to that um, it is really, really unique. So we'll get into all that stuff. But first, how did you get started in marketing? Oh, it's a long story, um, but we got a long podcast. So here it goes. Um, I actually kind of fell into it by accident. Um, I was studying in college. I went to a school called Colorado Christian University. Uh, just outside of Denver, Colorado, it was kind of uh, on the way up to the mountains. Um, so it was a very, um, very good spot to do skiing. Um, the only reason I was really there is because I was chasing a girl at the time and uh, wanted to spend a lot of time outdoors. Um, so I got my degree in communications, which just seemed to be the broadest possible degree that would be applicable to almost anything I wanted to do. At the time, I was actually thinking that I'd probably fall into journalism um, I graduated in 2009, which was not a great time to be entering the journalism scene. Like pretty much every magazine and newspaper was shutting its doors or reducing its staff pretty significantly. And I think I just convinced myself that like, no, I have something I need to say and the world needs to, to hear what I have uh, to say about it. So um, I finished my degree in communication and basically entered one of the worst job markets in history, although it's kind of quaint saying that now, given what we're experiencing with coronavirus. I ended up doing six unpaid internships, a combination of publishing companies and local news affiliates. Um, Very quickly realized that I really wasn't cut out for journalism and um, wasn't particularly interested in pursuing the type of work that would require the type of grind of local news, kind of reporting on tragedy and that sort of thing. Um, what I've always been good at though, is just communicating with people generally. And, uh, you know, my, I think my mom and dad always thought I would be a lawyer or something along those lines, always very argumentative, always very quick to try to bring people over to my position. I kind of hopped around a few different cities. Um, I lived in New York for a hot second. My wife at the time gotten, um, accepted in the Parsons, the design school for their fashion design program. So 
we attempted to move to New York um, during the height of the recession and then quickly got spit out. We ended up moving to Boston for a hot second um, where I worked Joe Jobs, waiting tables. I worked at a crate and barrel. We quickly realized that Boston wasn't really a long-term solution either, even though it was pretty interesting to live there and ended up moving back to Colorado where I'd gone to school. And after about four or five months of being there waiting tables, I randomly got called by a friend of mine who had gotten a job working for the anthropology brand at Urban Incorporated. So that's the parent company for Urban Outfitters and Free People and Anthropology and some others. Um, she had gotten a job working on their catalog business. And, uh, you know, this is going to date me a little bit, but this was around the time that Facebook had first allowed brands to start their own Facebook pages. So there was this quick move um, for companies and brands to onboard themselves to a social media presence through Facebook and Twitter, which really were the only platforms at the time. And again, this is just <laughs> going to sound so much older than I am. But um, she reached out to me just because I was very interested in online communities at the time. And this was back when we still called social media new media. Um, I was, you know, writing for a few different small blogs and just kind of generally interested in, in where this advent of new technology was going to take us. And she knew that she was in some random meeting where um, their editorial team and their marketing team was discussing their need to have some sort of a social media coordinator on their team. And so she floated my name and uh, really just through happenstance, I ended up going through an interview process with the anthropology brand and really sight unseen uh, decided to move to Philadelphia. Um, over the course of a couple of weeks, I went through interviews, flew out there once, um, and then decided to move. Um, and so that was kind of the beginning of my marketing journey. Um, I've always been, you know, very embedded in communication and, you know, for my school newspaper and all that stuff. But really, um, my education really started in, in my first job, which was as a community coordinator for anthropology, um, starting them out on Facebook and social media. I was working for a woman named Kelly Thurman Luciano at the time. Um, and she was actually very forward thinking. She had studied under Scott Galloway, who's uh, you know pretty well known as a podcaster and is the founder of the L2 think tank um, uh, at the NYU Stern School of Business. Um, and so she was like a really great first boss um, as we were, even though just kind of kind of plodding through this uncharted territory. But the great thing about anthropology is it was very informal. Like they had just started a marketing department and um, I was one of the first few hires when they formalized it. Up until that point, it was just creative people doing creative things. They only had, gosh, maybe like 25, 30 stores at the time. Um, they were growing quickly and expanding. Their online business was getting um, pretty significant, but the financial crisis was throwing a lot of things into disarray. And they were just trying a lot of new things. Um, one of the benefits of being on that team was, um, for one thing, I was part of the onboarding uh, team to launch the brand on platforms like Instagram when that first came out. And we were actually a beta partner with Pinterest. Um, so, <laughs> you know, again, like it's funny even talking about this, but there was a time when it was very unsure whether or not, you know, a platform like Pinterest or a Polyvore or, you know, any of these other competitors were really going to rise to the top and be successful. Um, so we were kind of, you know, working with all of them at the time. Um, and then, uh, you know, so like launching with Pinterest, uh, we were doing a very thoughtful, um, now, you know, now it, it seems like very commonplace, but at the time we were doing a lot of brand storytelling in the form of, 
video content and photo essays and uh, kind of the, you know, romantic storytelling that now brands really kind of take for granted as part of their, um, part of their quiver, uh, you know, or an arrow in their marketing quiver. Um, and I was uh, working very closely with a woman named Nancy Islandfelt at Anthropology. I'm bringing to life a lot of the storytelling, everything from documentary films, kind of short video content, things that tied into the catalog business that they were doing. So I really kind of got this crash course in marketing, like um, right off the bat. Um, and my first three years of my career were spent at Anthropology, kind of learning and growing and being mentored by that team. And so flash forward to today, what does it mean to be head of marketing at Chaco? Well, it's interesting. I, um, I've been at Chaco now for almost seven years. And uh, this is one of those brands that I've always had a really strong affinity for. It's it's something I don't really take for granted. You know, a lot of us have jobs and, you know, we're proud of the work that we do, but I, I think it's kind of rare to have an opportunity to work on a brand that you actually really loved before you were ever a part of it. And that's kind of my situation with Chaco. I first discovered it when I was in middle school going to summer camp, you know, for, for those of your listeners who aren't aware, Chaco is best known as a sandal brand, uh, mostly in the outdoor scene. Uh, we were founded by a rafting guide, and we're really popular with like the summer camp crowd, um, outdoor guide services, kind of granola hippie types, and uh, best known for a, a product called the Z sandal. Um, so, you know, which people just affectionately refer to as their Chacos. And so um, I kind of fell into Chaco through happenstance. And that's a longer part of my story, which I won't go into right this second. But um, I ended up moving back to Michigan after some time. Um, kind of traveling around and uh, having some life experience outside of Philadelphia where I worked suburban, um, ended up getting plugged into the Chaco brands here in Michigan and quickly kind of rose up the ranks. Um, and now I oversee a marketing team. Uh, we're still a pretty small and scrappy team. Um, there are five of us, um, you know, and as far as like, what does it mean to be, you know, the head of marketing? A lot of it is just kind of setting the pace and tempo um, for the work that we're doing. It's making calls on strategy, working really closely with um, our leadership team across our sales and finance and manufacturing and product um, teams to kind of map out our, our long-term strategic plan. Uh, you know, we typically do like three to five year swipes at, uh, you know, where we want to be and how we want to grow. Um, but I'm also kind of in a unique position in that I'm very much a player coach. Um, and we don't, we're a small enough team that we don't really have the luxury of having um, doers and pointers. Um, I'm very much, uh, you know, in the weeds with, with my team, you know, writing briefs and, um, you know, making sure that programs deploy. And, uh, I am also very privileged to, to have an incredibly talented team working for me. Um, they all just kind of happen to be women, um, which is, uh, you know, kind of unique in our industry, but they're all just incredibly talented people. And I think, um, you know, a lot of my, a lot of my job is really just kind of creating an atmosphere and an environment in which they can succeed. Um, they're all incredibly talented and so much of my work feels like it's more about clearing roadblocks, um, so that they can just run freely, um, at the pace at which they need to move. Um, it's really rewarding. I, it's, it's kind of funny and almost quaint, like having such romantic feelings for a sandal brand, but I really do have a lot of positive memories associated with it um, throughout my life. And uh, the work I've done 
over the last you know seven years has honestly been some of uh, some of the work that I'm most proud of in my entire life, and um, it's created some incredible connections and opportunities for me. Um, and in some ways, you know, I look at where we are right now, and um, you know, especially with how we're responding to the coronavirus uh, pandemic right now, um, this feels like I happen to be in the right place at the right time, and, and I'm where I need to be for the particular moment, which is pretty pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, it's so funny how you certain products are so personal, obviously, like your shoes or, you know, your sandals or whatever it is, it's like thinking of how many, you know, rivers you went down wearing them or thinking of like the trips that you had where, hey, those were the ones that I went to Brazil in or, or whatever it is. Like it, I, it is such a personal thing um, and it's such a personal experience because uh, people remember those things and, you know, it gives a lot of fodder for marketing. And I, you know, I, I suppose there's, there's a pre, um, you know, COVID kind of how things were. And then, and then now post obviously with just the, the quick turn and, and changing how a bunch of things are going. So I guess let's start with the, you know, pre COVID, what did marketing look like at Chaco? What were the types of things that you all were doing? How were you helping people, um, you know, expand their kind of role in the outdoors, you know, with the, with a brand that's synonymous with being outdoors, what are some of the things that you're doing that you all were doing, uh, to market that, to promote that and to, you know, to truly be that kind of lifestyle, lifestyle product and brand. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there's, there's this, uh, kind of marketing cliche that gets shared around a lot on the internet. Um, it's, uh, it's a graphic of super Mario, um, along with the, the flower that lets Mario shoot fireballs and he's bigger and he's faster and he's stronger. And, you know, they say, you know, you're not selling like the product is the flower, but you're not selling the flower. You're selling this vision of Mario being bigger, stronger, faster and throwing fireballs. Right. Um, and I think, you know, for us being in the outdoor space, it's been interesting because when I joined Chaka was just this niche sandal brand that I think had a very strong reputation in the outdoor space the outdoor industry in particular, um, you know, I think if you asked, you know, quote unquote, outdoor types, you know, people live in mountain towns, people that, uh, you know, work in gear shops, that sort of thing. Like, what are your favorite brands? Chaka would easily register in the top 10, no problem. Um, but that's such a niche community and it's such a privileged community too, right? It's kind of like, you know, being a golf brand or like a ski brand or something. It's like, you know, it's a, it's equipment. Um, and I think a lot of what we tried to do over the years was um, try to expand the notion of what does it mean to be outdoors? Um, and this is by no means just Chaco. I would say like the entire industry has really tried to make a pivot. And um, I, I think maybe I had the benefit of having come out of a lifestyle brand like Anthropology, where they were really trying to blend this idea of an aspirational lifestyle and the comforts of home and the curiosity of travel and, um, you know, meeting new people and experiencing different ways of doing things and, and really kind of selling a concept around that. And Chaco to me felt very similar when I first arrived. Uh, we were doing very little by far, you know, by way of marketing programming when I first joined. I mean, some of my first assignments were simple, like, um, you know, create, um, you know, POP fixtures, you know, a, a tower to hang sandals on. Uh, can you get us new shoe shelves? Um, just very basic, like how can we get the brand in front of people in the distribution that we have, which at the time was extremely, um, weighted towards outdoor specialty shops. It was kind of mom and pops. REI would have been the biggest shop that you would have ever heard of. And I think for me, because I joined, 
out of an out of an experience like Urban, but also because I had all this personal experience with the brand, not really rooted in the use of the product, but more about the exposure of the people I was interacting with who happened to own it and love it. Um, I felt like there was a real opportunity to kind of take it to a wider group of people to expand the adoption and the notion of what it could represent. Um, you know, Chacos are sandals, but they're really more of like a a signal of the type of person that you are, you know, like anybody can buy a pair of flip flops. It's something different to say like, Hey, I'm going to drop a hundred dollars on a pair of sandals that last a really long time that leave these, um, unique tan lines on my feet. Cause I've been wearing them all summer. You can hike in them, you can climb in them, you can swim in them. Like there, there's something very unique about that. And so over the last seven years, you know, we very quickly went from doing just, you know, the check the box blocking and tackling approach of marketing to, um, you know, what are the ways that we're really going to meet people and expand our digital footprint and, um, you know, expand the notion of what this brand could represent. So we made a lot of investments in experiential marketing. We created a national tour. We started showing up at music festivals and going to cultural events where we could get people fitted in our product, where we could kind of see and be seen and um, do more consumer research and that sort of thing. At the same time, we, um, we really expanded our notion of, you know, content development and the particular look and feel of the brand. Um, I've, I've been in an interesting situation in that I've occupied pretty much every single role within the marketing team on the way up, um, you know, before assuming responsibility over the entire department. I was creative director before that. I was brand manager. So kind of had, um, you know, some influence over everything from the go, mar- go to market process to our choices of photography and content and presentation. Um, you know, we've done some short films. We've been featured in film festivals. We've won awards for our storytelling around that sort of thing too. And um, it's been interesting because it's created this, this, simultaneously like a feeling of authenticity amongst the core group of people that loved it from the beginning, but it also it's expanded the audience really significantly to the point that now, you know, we have people like, you know, uh, Ezra Koenig from Vampire Weekend wore us on stage at the Grammys. Um, you know, we're doing business uh, not just with REI and independent gear shops. Now we're also doing it with um, Urban Outfitters and Madewell. Um, you know, we're a 30 year old heritage outdoor brand that most people have just never even heard of. And I think, um, one of the really exciting things over the last several years has been, um, not just seeing the growth, but like feeling it and participating in it in real time. Um, it's funny too, just like, you know, I'm, I'm a millennial, one of probably, well, I guess I'm like right in the middle of the age of millennials. But, um, I remember when I was at, um, anthro, I, it, it just never occurred to me that I would ever spend longer than five years in one place. And now here I am. Um, and the thing that really keeps me going is this feeling of like the work's not finished yet. Like we're so close. Like I, I'm working on this very unique, almost, uh, in some ways it feels like such a niche business, but it has the opportunity to like impact so many people and, um, to scale in a really unique way. And that is kind of this thing on the horizon that, you know, myself and my team and the people I work with at the brand have been chasing and it. It feels real. You know, it doesn't feel like a, like a pipe dream. It absolutely felt like something we could accomplish and it's kept us very busy and very interested this whole time. Well, and you know, it's funny how you have some obviously really cool, you know, co-marketing opportunities and collaborations um, that you all have done. And we'll get into that in a second, but 
you know, talking about this, like kind of go outdoors mentality, which is like, obviously extremely relevant right now as the, you know, much of the world is stuck at home. Uh, definitely, you know, United States is on lockdown and, and places like Italy and stuff like that. I think we're all dreaming of being outdoors. We all wish that we were cruising around in our Chacos in, uh, and, and we're kind of not right now. Um, but, you know, you saw REI really, you know, take a lead on championing being outdoors. Um, and as a brand that's, you know, that's core to who you are too. Like, do you think that that sort of like groundswell and this sort of like go outdoors sort of, uh, these campaigns, it kind of like helps you do kind of your evangelization to, to, to position your product in that way when you have other folks that are kind of doing it as well. Uh, yeah, totally. I mean, this is, this is all part of a much broader movement and a shifting, um, trend in the marketplace and in fashion and in people's individual style choices. I think it's, it's been really helpful in that it's all been backed up with science and psychology and studies that have actually gone to, you know, connect the dots between time spent outdoors, immersion in nature, forest bathing, hiking, um, uh, all these things and connecting it back to the frenetic pace at which we do work and we live our lives, at least, especially in like the Western world. I think that's definitely the case. And so the two have certainly gone, um, hand in hand when I was still at, um, anthropology, our sister brand urban outfitters had a concept at the time called without walls, which was all about pushing people outdoors. And they were bringing in brands like Patagonia and North face and really trying to, um, integrate more of the outdoor industry into the lifestyle and like urban fashion scene. Um, we have, you know, in similar ways, like we've been able to participate in that in the sense that we have, we actually have a pretty decent business in Japan. Um, we've had some really great distributor partners there for the last 20 years. Um, and, uh, in Japan in particular, I think the, the lines between like technical outerwear and urban streetwear are very blurred and very complementary. And so we've had some opportunities ourselves to do collaborations with, um, you know, really the fashion forward retailers like Beams and um, streetwear brands like Bathing Ape and Stussy. And um, that's created some unlocks, um, I think, for consumers and for the media and for any casual observers to just be like, oh, this thing that I thought was explicitly for this purpose is actually something I can kind of integrate elsewhere. I mean, you see this like in sandals in particular, right? Like our contemporaries, like Birkenstock, it was not that long ago that I think people, you know, like half jokingly said, I'll never wear Birkenstocks. Right. And then like the next thing, you know, like the Arizona sandal is everywhere. And I think the adoption of a silhouette like that is partially driven by, you know, uh, bloggers and, and models and, and buyers and editorial choices that are kind of taking these items from different brands and integrating them into like a holistic vision of a type of person or a presentation. And it's making it feel okay for other people um, to participate in that. I think when you marry like the fashion side of the equation with the science and psychology behind time spent outdoors, and then you like from a macro lens, maybe look at how we are treating um, our environment, the politics of the conservation movement and the ebb and flow between, you know, the push and pull of development versus protecting our, our, um, our wild spaces and our public lands, the outdoor industry becomes extremely relevant. And I think Chaco has in, in a lot of ways like benefited from that, but also 
I would like to think we've actually been a big part of it and we've meaningfully um, contributed to the causes um, and also been a part of that story as it's unfolded. It's really funny. I mean, you know, here specifically in the Bay Area, that the kind of running joke is like the Patagonia vest is like the the, the new business jacket. Um, and as someone who, you know, grew up wearing Patagonia um, and whose family wears a lot of Patagonia, it's so funny to me because I'm like, no, people just started wearing it is because it's freaking cold in San Francisco when the fog rolls in and they needed something that actually kept them warm. It's not like it was a fashion statement that like it came out of necessity. It's not like people were trying to like flex on, on their, uh, you know, on whatever it's like people's torsos get cold when the fog rolls in, like that's how it started, but people kind of forget that sort of thing. And now it's kind of take on, taken on a life of its own. But I think it's really interesting what you said about, um, you know, being able to actually make a difference as a company, um, to you know protect things like public lands i'm a i'm a huge public land uh public land guy uh i'm on public lands all the time like more or less every weekend so i'm i'm totally here for it and so i'm curious like from a marketing perspective as you're doing really cool things like this as you're creating collaborations with you know national parks as you're doing these things like how do you market that? How do you evangelize that? How do you share that with new prospects and customers that, you know, you are so embedded in the community? Yeah, man, like the public lands thing, I think is probably one of the more interesting stops along the journey in, in both Chaco and in my, uh, you know, particular um, you know, time spent with them and in my career, um, you know, 2016. So, you know, uh, the 2016 election changed a lot of things, but back in 2015, um, the story in the outdoor industry was the centennial celebration of the National Park Service. And so um, the National Park Foundation and um, the National Park Service were doing all sorts of licensing deals and partnerships. And, uh, you know, it seemed like everybody and their mother, whether it was like Subaru or, you know, actually, I don't know if it was Subaru, but like whether it was like automobile companies, uh, whether it was outdoor brands, whether it was consumer products, like everybody had some way that they were participating in this um, centennial celebration. And, you know, that's a license to be, and it's an opportunity for marketing programs. It's an opportunity for storytelling and you kind of want to be part of this like big movement. We actually made the choice to sit that out. And part of it is because I was kind of looking at everything that was happening. And, you know, if, you know, you go to like a trade experience in the outdoor space, like outdoor retailer, and everybody is kind of telling the same story. And it just felt like, you know, it, it's super important. Don't get me wrong, like super important, but like the marketer in me is like, how can I stand out? And um, I think I was also thinking strategically about the future. I was just like, okay, like, you know, at the end of this hundred year celebration, once you blow out the candles on the cake, like who's still going to be carrying the banner for this important mission and these important organizations. Um, and I, you know, a big part of my own journey was actually spending a ton of time in, um, public lands, national parks and monuments. I, I lived out of my car for, you know, a couple months, basically crisscrossing the lower 48 and eventually driving up to Alaska, kind of like spending my time and sleeping most nights in, in public lands. And like, it was, it was close to my heart and kind of close to my personal journey. And so I wanted us to do something. Um, we negotiated a deal with the national park foundation to be a partner with them and develop a line of collaboration sandals to celebrate some of our favorite na national parks. Um, we did this just under the guise of we want to support the foundation and we think it's important. And after this 100 year celebration, 
um, we think it's important that there's strong partners kind of taking up the mantle for the next hundred years. So, you know, that all happened. And then the November election came around and Donald Trump got elected. And the first few things that happened, you know, in 2016 were really battles over public lands and land rights and states' rights. Um, uh, you know, the reversal of protections around some of the national monuments that President Obama had designated, um, you know, specifically Bears Ears National Monument in Utah. Um, we happened, you know, because we had chosen to um, formulate this partnership with national parks in the way that we did and the timing that we did, we suddenly were very relevant to that conversation. And we suddenly had a really great platform that a lot of other people didn't have to talk about it with some credibility. Um, and then along with that, we uh, made some choices to, um, you know, kind of participate in the, in, um, you know, some of the work around protecting the Bears Ears National Monument. We did some programs where we donated all of the net proceeds from the sale of products to a couple of the on the ground organizations um, doing some really great work there. Friends of Cedar Mesa in Utah, Dene Bakea, which was a, a group of, uh, you know, it was a tribal coalition kind of on the ground trying to protect that monument as well. And so I think like having a little bit of the foresight or dumb luck to happen to have great timing as well as having, you know, at our core, a real desire to participate meaningfully um, in protecting the places that really allow our industry to even exist, you know, like without, without protected natural spaces, whether it's like a green space down the street from your house in a city park or whether it's, um, you know, a nature preserve or whether it's a state park or a national monument or a national park. Um, these places allow people to spend time outside. Um, and it also like gives us in our industry an opportunity to supply people with gear to do it really well. Um, and in a safe and comfortable way. Um, and so there were a lot of, you know, intersections of relevancy for us at the time. Um, and I think also just because so many of us on the team actually had like personal connections with public lands. Um, I like to think that our programming flowed very organically and, um, you know, the success of those programs plus like tying in our factory and doing made in the USA products to celebrate our u.s national parks and monuments like it just it just created a really wonderful expression of like what does authenticity and outdoor movement look like why are these places important why are they important now you know why should you not take them for granted yeah no totally i mean and for our listeners if you just go to chacos.com and check out the uh the collaboration stuff you can see some of the like yosemite uh and Yellowstone and different sort of, uh, sandal designs and things. It's, it's pretty sweet stuff. Um, and you know, I think that what we're seeing now, and maybe this is a, a good time to talk about some of the stuff, you know, post coronavirus, which is, you know, private enterprise is stepping up in a huge way to figure out how to support. And like, I think it's kind of a DNA thing, right? It's like the thing that yet, you know, maybe, timing was lucky for you all in terms of, you know, how you could make a difference in the national parks. But, you know, ultimately it was that you wanted to have something in place that you could make a difference. And so now that this huge crisis has hit, um, you know, your company is also stepping up. Can you, can you share more about that? Yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, the beginning of this story really is, um, you know, 
entering 2020, we had these grand designs on, you know, launching the, the latest iteration of our tour. Um, we were going to be going to music festivals and college campuses and, uh, you know, retailers. And, uh, we had, we had actually like taken a bus. We had, like, we bought a school bus. We turned it into a mobile factory where we could actually like make and repair sandals. And part of this is because this is an expression of something that we do in our factory in Michigan. Um, our factory is called Rechaco. Um, out of this factory, we make all of our made in the USA products. So the national park, um, foundation collaboration that you were talking about, that's something that came out of that factory. We do, um, upwards of 25,000 repairs on our sandals every year. So our Z sandals in particular, just incredibly long lasting. They're durable. Um, and the people that own them really love them and they want to, uh, they want to keep wearing them. And so a lot of people, rather than buying a new pair, will actually send them in to, uh, to us and we have the ability to resole them, to replace straps, to replace componentry. Um, uh, and then we also do a, a really big customization program out of that factory that we call My Chacos. And so um, we have this factory in Rockford, Michigan. We're outfitted with all sorts of sewing machines, needles and thread, textiles. We have all this equipment, all the supplies, all the skilled labor, you know, like it's not, it's not robots, like, you know, assembling things piece by piece. It's, it's actual people with a lot of training. It's very hands-on, very all carte, very made to order. Um, and uh, so like we have this factory, we have this bus. Um, we knew that we wanted to make Rechaco in particular a big part of our storytelling this year because I think for us in particular, uh, you know, like they're <laughs> one, of, one of the wonderful things about our brand is also one of the challenging things, which is that our, our core product franchise actually lasts a really long time. And so people just don't need to buy it with that much frequency. Um, so we really wanted to do a better job of telling the stories of the behind the scenes, all the work that we do, repairing people's product, the uh, wonderful notes and letters and photographs that we get from people from their world travels, um, the places that they've gone, the stories that they have to share about like what the sandals have meant to them. And so these are things that um, were already kind of happening within the factory. And um, when you fast forward to March of this year, um, we were getting ready to launch our tour and um, bring our bus uh, to Austin, Texas for South by Southwest. We were going to launch the tour. We we're going to unveil this bus. We we're going to launch a new product franchise that we have called Chillos, which is kind of this like slide sandal design that we have in the, in the vein of the Z sandals that we're best known for. Um, and so we're getting ready to launch it South by Southwest. We're really excited about it. You know, the outdoor industry in particular, I think maybe have like a, a, a longer line of sight on coronavirus, just because anybody who deals in overseas production or um, operations, like understood that the supply chain was being disrupted earlier in the year. Um, that was, you know, a story that's pretty well documented, but I think we, nobody just, you know, we thought it would come over to America. And uh, I think people just wrongly assumed that we would be untouched by this. So here we are like planning accordingly, getting ready to launch for South by Southwest. And then we kind of quickly realized like, Oh, this, this whole, this whole event is really, um, feeling very tenuous all of a sudden, you know, big tech companies, the big sponsors are starting to pull out. And I think for us, we were kind of watching very closely, like, okay, you know, like we're still a small enough brand that like a platform like South by Southwest, even at half its size still feels really relevant. Um, is it something we can do or not? And then very quickly, you know, it felt like over the course of days or hours, we suddenly realized like, oh, South by Southwest is not happening. And then over the, course of maybe a couple days we realized like oh not only is it not happening this is a much bigger issue than we ever thought it would be 
Um, and so we, we started having conversations pretty early in March, just around the idea of like, okay, if we needed to pivot, if we needed to change what we were doing, how quickly could we, and what would that look like? So we were creating all sorts of contingency plans for, you know, okay, the tour launches a little bit later, some of the event program we were going to do, like maybe there's a way we can do that digitally. The factory bus, like, okay, let's get it ready to go to the next event. And then probably within a matter of like three or four days, we realized like, oh no, this, this is actually far more serious um, as other trade shows and other big um, you know, ex expos and consumer events and, and music festivals were starting to press pause. You know, Coachella made the decision that they were uh, going to you know, ship their dates back to October. And that for us was like the real moment of like, oh, okay, like uh, best laid plans of mice and men, like this is not happening. Um, and so over the, course of a weekend uh you know my team on the marketing side we worked with our operations team at our factory um led by a woman named lisa Condrat. lisa is pretty amazing she's the director of operations for our factory she's been with the brand for 20 years actually she's going to be celebrating her 20th anniversary um this month uh with the brand which is kind of ironic given everything that's going on um but this is a woman who's she's worked every single job on uh, in the factory. She knows the process in and out. And our brand has always been so small and scrappy and used to creating ad hoc solutions that we just don't really ask for permission. We just kind of try to figure stuff out and get far enough down the road that people have a hard time telling us no. And so over the course of a weekend, we figured out an action plan for like, how could we retrofit our factory from doing sandal production and repairs into making face masks? We had sewing machines, we had material available to us, we had needles and thread, we had skilled labor, um, and um, maybe like most pressingly, we had a, a pretty significant need even in our local community. Um, a handful of us on the team are, have uh, you know loved ones and close friends that are actually administrators at hospitals and, and healthcare systems and kind of on the front lines of the crisis. And we were hearing from them even earlier than the media was really covering it that there was a massive shortage in um, protective equipment, you know, whether it's face masks or aprons. Um, and so, like right around the time that you started to see the first, you know, the first rumors of you know, oh, I heard LA Apparel or I heard Emily and Bennett is like you know. Um, trying to figure out how to make a mask or whatever like we were um, working through the process of what it would look like for us to retrofit um, not only our factory but also the bus that we had created for that same purpose so um, really over the course of a couple of days um, you know the following week we started prototyping based on some designs that were approved by a couple of our local healthcare partners um, there's a big hospital group in our region here in Grand Rapids Michigan called Spectrum uh, Spectrum Health. Um, so we, we started to work on a prototype for them that we would be able to donate. Um, and honestly, like our, our first thing I think was just like, hey, there's like an immediate need. Um, and we have, we have the ability to help, you know, like we're not selling these things. We're not trying to get like a government contract. I think it was more about like, we have these machines, we have these vehicles, we have these people who are like trained to do this. You know, our tour team, went through this robust stretch of training with our, our Rechaco factory team to like learn how to make things and sew and, and do all this work. And we are like, okay, like we have people who can help. So let's put them to work. And, um, you know, we kind of, we presented it, not only is this the right thing to do, there's a huge need we can help, but also like this is an opportunity to keep our people busy and our machines running. And, um, you know, sure enough, as we've unfolded this program over the last couple of weeks, 
the uh, outpouring of support and consumer sentiment has just been overwhelmingly positive. Um, we are in the process of, uh, you know, pulling together our, our first donations of, uh, you know, I think we're going to be able to drop off 1500 masks, uh, tomorrow, uh, which we were able to, you know, pull together over the last, um, uh, the last like 10 days of production. Um, we have our team, um, in our bus, which is actually, uh, stationed in Portland, Oregon, um, working with the Multnomah County, um, you know, health providers and, um, a hospital in Hood River, Oregon, uh, developing a prototype for them and, and getting, uh, I think four or 500 masks out the door for them as well. And so, you know, like we, we've kind of taken this approach of like, listen, like we're not, we're not experts, like by no means are we experts. But like, to your point, this is one of those moments where it's like, okay, I guess private enterprise is just going to have to step up. And like, for us, it's, it's not necessarily a matter of like, okay, can we do it better than somebody else? We didn't know if that was true or not, but I think that's also an excuse that a lot of people use to do nothing, right? Like, ah, oh, such a big problem. seems like such a challenge. Like we don't have any experience doing it. And we quickly found out as we were going that um, the need far outweighed any of those considerations. Um, there was such a desperation for supply. There was such a critical um, need and, and an outpouring of support. You know, the moment we, we uh, launched um, and, and announced what we were doing, uh, we started getting hundreds of emails, um, phone calls from hospitals, nurses, local organizations, uh, grocery chains, like all sorts of businesses reaching out being like, can you guys help us make masks because there's no way we can buy what we need through the usual channels. And so um, that I think has been confirmation enough that like clearly the need was there. Um, I think at the same time, like we've certainly benefited from the outpouring of support and like the feeling of purpose that comes from unifying a team behind a really important cause, uh, especially during like a really challenging time for business. Like in a way it's kind of, maybe it's inoculated us from like some of the fears and uncertainty that we would feel otherwise, you know, because it feels like we have this really strong call to purpose and action against this, this critical need. Um, so that's been really wonderful. And so here we are, um, a sandal brand pivoting our factory and our, in our, you know, marketing tour towards um, making face masks in the time of coronavirus. Who would have thought? Yeah, it's incredible. I mean, it's a really, fascinating story and so cool to hear that you all were able able to do that and obviously you know like there's um there's so much work that needs to be done and there's so much you know uncertainty and everything out there that it's just really cool to see these the ways that companies can just kind of put the effort into it turn on a dime and leverage the resources that they already have especially in marketing when you know you can um really see, you know, the flow of information well. And so you can communicate those things in, in a, um, in a really, you know, value added way to people who are kind of looking for, um, looking for advice in certain circumstances, not always looking for, you know, uh, you know, day by day blows from what your CEO is feeling about things. But at the same time, like there is a, there is a certain percentage of people that, really want to have updates from the companies that they love. Like, again, it's part of their life. It, it, no, it's why it's called a lifestyle brand. And, uh, and I think that stuff is important. 
Okay, before we get into our lightning round, I do want to talk about just some of your favorite campaigns. Like you said, you've worked on documentaries, you've worked on, um, you know, obviously the stuff with national parks, you've done a bunch of really cool stuff. Do you have a particular campaign that sticks out here um, that you've done uh, over the last uh, few years? Yeah, yeah, I have a couple. I mean, you know, I talked about the National Park Foundation collab that we did, which was just this wonderful mix of, you know, something that was close to my heart and also really great timing. And it felt like we were standing up for something that we really believed in. So that that was great. Um, we, we launched a program last year, um, that we called Z chromatic and it was really just, it was taking our core product franchise and doing it in monochromatic colorways. So taking the sandal that we're best known for, and we did it in bright blue and bright red, and yellow and everything else. And, and we launched that. And that one was kind of special to me because I think it, for one, it was something I was trying to get done for probably five years. I was just kind of like, guys, like our best selling color is solid black. Maybe other people, maybe people would like a solid navy, maybe people would like a solid brown, you know, and both kind of like a, you know, a little bit of like a win um, in the sense that I felt like I'd finally overcome like the time <laughs> required to, to make it happen. But it was also this really wonderful handoff because the, um, the woman on my team that led that effort, her name is Jamie Kirby. She's our creative director now. Um, she's just kind of this unique uh, creative talent that I had asked to step up and kind of lead that campaign. And it was kind of the moment where she really kind of took ownership and, and um, kind of created uh, what I would say was the template that allowed us to succeed in this particular moment that we're in now because she was able to kind of shift into this role managing like the deployment and the vision behind our creative campaigns and allowed me to kind of like, you know, focus more on the strategic elements that allowed everybody else to kind of like pop into the place of their particular um, role on the team that now like we're just this very finely tuned machine. So that one was certainly very special to me. Um, this, this particular shift with the factory making face masks, I think this is going to be one of those things I look back on for the rest of my life and, um, and have really, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of point of pride and, um, you know, some, some heartfelt emotion over not only just because it, it feels important and like one of those life changing moments, but also because I, I don't think I've ever felt closer to the team than I have right now. And that's, that's like a really wonderful um, a really wonderful sound, uh, sentiment. I, you know, we, we all feel like we're all sheltering in place and there's like a certain feeling of loneliness in that. But, um, like my work family in a lot of ways has really become my actual family and I spend more time with them than I spend with almost anyone else. And that, and that's been really great. It's kept us like really, um, in tune and attentive to each other's needs, like both emotional and otherwise. And that's, that's been great. And then there's just like cool stuff that we do, whether, you know, I, we did, a did a documentary film um, a couple years back that we called the time travelers. And it was, uh, it was a production we did with a, uh, a studio called gnarly Bay productions. The director is this guy named uh, Forrest Woodward, who um, has become a good friend of mine. Um, and it focused on some ambassadors that we have the USA men's rafting team. And they decided that they wanted to break the speed record for descending the Colorado river through the grand Canyon. Um, and so we made a documentary about that that ended up uh, winning a ton of awards and just getting us a lot of visibility and a lot of love within the outdoor um, uh, industry and the rafting community. And it was just kind of this really wonderful return to our roots. And, uh, you know, one of the things, um, a couple of the little totems I keep in my office back home for my time at Chaco are both a, a, an award that we won at one of our film festivals that um, Forrest uh, gifted to me, you know, for, 
for helping greenlight the production and make it all all happen. And the other is a, a paddle that the rafting team signed after they did their their run. And uh, for those of uh, those of you <laughs> tuning in, like you can find it on YouTube. It's called the Time Traveler. It's it's like twenty three minutes long. It's it's maybe especially uh, well suited for this particular moment because it's all kind of about like you know the only way out of a difficult situation is going through it. Um, and, uh, you know what, if we get a few extra views on it right now, I'll feel like I've done my job. So those are probably my favorites. Yeah. Perfect. We'll link it up. Um, all right, let's get into our lighting round. These questions are fast and easy. Just like marketing with Salesforce, you can go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Salesforce brings marketing and engagement together, automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce.com slash marketing. Check it out. Lightning round questions. Josh, are you ready? I'm ready. Number one, what is your favorite national park? Um, I would say my favorite national park is Yellowstone. That is where I found out that, um, uh, you know, my, my ex-wife now and I are pregnant with my firstborn son. I found that out uh, while doing a road trip through national parks on my way up to Alaska. Found out that... Uh, I had gotten her pregnant, but now he is six years old and he's my favorite person in the world. And uh, Yellowstone, that's my answer. What about your favorite app on your phone? Ooh, favorite app on my phone. Um, gosh, there's this, uh, there's this app I use pretty religiously called To Do, T-E-U-X-D-E-U-X. Um, that uh, was developed by this gal, Swiss Miss. Um, and I use that to kind of track my daily to-do list. It's just like super simple interface and it costs like $2 a year to use. So to-do is my app of choice. What book or podcast are you reading or listening to that uh, you particularly enjoy? I'm actually rereading like probably one of my favorite management books. So like I, I do, I read a ton of nonfiction, but like I've kind of like done a deeper dive back into some of my management stuff. And there's this book that I think is particularly well suited for this moment called Shackleton's way. Um, it's written by um, Margot Morell and Stephanie Caporal. And it came out back in the nineties, but it's basically like leadership lessons from Ernest Shackleton and his failed endurance voyage. Um, so basically like crisis leadership 101, um, super relevant right now, as far as podcast goes, like I, I do quite a bit of like current event type stuff, which is not helping my mental health. But, um, one way I kind of tune out is when I go on a run, I listen to the rewatchables from the ringer podcast network. And, uh, it's kind of like a yeah. great way to just tune out of things that are going on around me. Um, and just kind of like dive back into some pop culture, which always feels like a safe space. Yeah. I've seen actually Shackleton's way it's shared a couple of times recently on, on social media. Um, so it seems like it's making its rounds right now. Uh, always love the rewatchables. Great, great pod. Um, do you have a, uh, hidden talent or passion? I have a lot of tattoos. Um, and I don't really have a rhyme or reason for them, except that I think it's, uh, you know, like your first tattoo feels like such a big deal. You spend like a year thinking about it. Like, I'm going to want to have this for the rest of my life, et cetera, et cetera. The second one, you, you cut that time in half. The third one becomes really easy. And then like numbers 14, 15, 16, 17, 18 are just kind of like, hey, I'm in a different city and I have three hours to kill. Um, so I'm going to grab a tattoo. My, uh, my now fiance and I actually just got, 
uh, pizza slice tattoos in New York um, pre pre coronavirus. Uh, this was uh, um, much earlier in the year, like back in January. We had like three hours to kill, so we went and got a New York slice um, in Manhattan. Uh, pizza tattoos, most expensive tattoo I think I've ever paid for. Um, definitely most expensive slice of pizza I've ever had. So I would say like, that's kind of like my, my one like unique thing. I don't, I don't have a whole lot of like stupid human tricks or like party tricks. Unfortunately, I am a, I am a wealth of pop culture knowledge from like the eighties and nineties. It's very, it's not particularly useful. You know, like if somebody's having a heart attack, nobody's like, Hey, does anybody know the words to the growing pains theme song? <laughs> you know, it doesn't really, Happened. Who started Vision Quest? <laughs> uh, you know what? This was a rewatchables episode just a couple days, and it was Matthew Modine. And my brother has a signed copy of Vision Quest by Bill oh, Simmons. That's hilarious because <laughs> he got it. <laughs> yeah, pretty funny. Uh, so when they did the rewatchables, my brother was like, I, "Like I have a signed Bill Simmons Vision Quest copy." Um, anywho, all right. Last question: What is your best advice for first time head of marketing? I think that there is a certain wisdom to telling anybody to fake it till you make it. I think that's one thing. Um, like having, having a sense of confidence and, and, and like, even if you're pretending like the difference between pretending to be confident and actually being confident, I think is a very, very thin line. Um, so that's one thing Two would be get a mentor if you can. Um, I've, I've benefited uh, in ways that I can't even articulate from having really wonderful mentors in my life. My dad actually passed away when I was 20. Like, you know, so I, I kind of missed the formative years of having like a, you know, an adult figure um, kind of speaking into my life. Um, my mom was great, but she was kind of preoccupied with other stuff with the family. And um, uh, I've, I've gotten a lot of benefit from having really wonderful mentors, whether that was you know, informally, um, you know, older team members, um, you know, our, our VP of sales at Chaco, his name is Todd Gordon. He's been a really wonderful mentor for me over the years. Um, and then some other folks within the industry, that's been great. And then maybe the third thing is just um, the success of your team is really the success of uh, collective of individuals that are reporting into you. And I think um, the wisest words I, I think I could share with anybody is like really figure out what your people are really great at and give them opportunities to do that work. Cause they'll, they'll work harder doing that work than they will doing anything else. Um, it'll look you, uh, it, it will make you look really great in the process. Um, you will be incredibly thrilled with the output. They'll be happier. And if they eventually leave, which frankly they should, if they're really good, um, that reflects really well on you too. Well, Josh, that's it. That's all we got for today. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks so much. Any uh, any final thoughts? Any things to plug? Check out chacos.com. We are trying to do some good work right now, whether it's face masks or sandals. Check out a new franchise, Chillos, uh, which has some incredibly comfy slides to be wearing while you're working from home. Um, in the meantime, uh, you know, be safe, stay home. If you can, get some social distance outside. It's really wonderful. It'd be good for you, even if we weren't going through this pandemic. Thanks, man. Take care. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
you have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.